Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced that the chamber would vote by January 17th to change Senate rules in order to pass voting rights legislation. The question is, do they have the votes right now for his work? Schumer would need Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema on board. Both of them have voiced reservations, one of them saying he's not there yet. For this and more, we'll bring in our panel. Republican strategist, former campaign manager for Senator Scott Brown, Colin Reed, political analyst Juan Williams, and political editor at the National Journal, Josh Krasiar. Josh, every time I do this, it seems like we're saying the same thing. They don't have the numbers yet, right? Yeah, doesn't it feel like it's Groundhog Day every day within uh, Washington, within the Democratic uh, Senate caucus? Yeah, I mean, this is as much about trying to satiate the progressive base of the party as it is about vote counting and about being optimistic that either Senator Joe Manchin or Senator Kirsten Sinema uh, will actually go along with with changing or reforming the, the filibuster rules. There's been no indication that either of them are going to do so. Cinema last week underscored her opposition to doing so. And, um, you know, while they may be satisfying some elements of the base, we saw this with Build Back Better, where they kind of kept hope alive that, that perhaps some smaller version of that could pass through the Senate. And ultimately, Manchin has still not, not withdrawn his opposition. You're seeing the same thing with, with the voting rights push. Uh, Senator Sinema and probably Senator Manchin still have the, these hesitations that are not going to be easily overcome. Um, so, I, you know, the, the risk for Democrats, Brett, is that you're, you're raising the hopes and the expectations expectations of, of a lot of rank-and-file Democratic supporters, and you're only pulling the, pulling the football out at the last minute yet again, and that could lead to a very dispirited base uh, in the run-up to, to this year's midterm elections. Lucy and Charlie Brown, it was always frustrating. Um, Juan, the president, is heading to Atlanta, and there are some activists down there. He's going to be speaking about voting rights, as is the vice president. There are some activists who say, do not come unless you have a path, a way forward, somehow to get this passed. And it just doesn't seem like they have one. Well, I'd say that's right. I mean, just look at it in pragmatic terms. You'd say, given Manchin's position, he's indicated some willingness to kind of make some changes at the very edges of the filibuster. You know, are you required to show up? How long are you required to be there? Um, but not to undo the basic 
structure that prevents 50 votes, a simple majority, uh, to change the to pass this voting rights legislation that that he wants that the president is seeking. But I would say that there is also the issue of, you know, this basic principle here. So, you know, Josh points out that the base wants a more aggressive president on this issue. And I don't think there's any doubt about that, especially for black voters who were so key to his victory. Uh, and I think the president has started to show a more aggressive face, for example, in the comments that he made uh, at the January 6th event, where he really called out former President Trump. Now he's going into a phase where I think people want to see a more aggressive President Biden uh, and not simply abide by the idea. Well, the Republicans, 50 Republicans don't seem to have much uh, passion about voting rights, you know, kind of a basic principle of democracy, instead of simply falling down and saying, well, I can't do anything, make the effort, put the passion behind it. Let's see what you can do, Joe Biden. I think that's the attitude. And I think the Biden administration feels the need to demonstrate that they are not simply a group of passive people watching the world go by and thinking, well, we're so divided in this country. What can we do? That's just not selling. And I think that's why his numbers, his poll numbers, they're down, not because Republicans are uh, suddenly buying off. They bought off a long time ago. They're down because there are lots of Democrats and independents who think, hey, is this guy into it? Is he here? Where is he? Well, obviously, obviously, Colin, you've got what happened in Afghanistan. You've got crime in big cities. You've got inflation. There's a lot of reasons why the president's approval numbers are down. But on Juan's point, if the president and the administration go full bore in this and really try to sell it like Republicans are being uh, are standing down on their obligations on voting rights. Does that move independence at all? Considering that Republicans have indicated that they would be willing to adjust the Electoral Count Act, which says, you know, would clarify the vice president and Congress's role in electing uh, the electoral certification. Number one. Number two, they said, yeah, we'd be up for voter ID, uh, which is not a part of this. Well, it's really challenging to say that the opposition party is the entire reason for your inability to move your legislation forward when you can't even unite your own party. Uh, it's really hard to make that charge stick. And I think that's why, Brett, when you alluded to some of the discontent coming from the leaders in Georgia saying, hey, don't waste your time coming here. Get your folks in line up in D.C., uh, because without Manchin and without cinema, this thing isn't going anywhere. And uh, as it relates to the debate about the filibuster, uh, the best part, in my opinion, of watching the debate over the filibuster is is having these old quotes uh, unearthed of Chuck Schumer saying that getting rid of the filibuster would be a doomsday for democracy and turn our country into a banana republic. And he's not the only one. Um, so it, it's really challenging to make that argument stick as well. But to the broader point, uh, I think the Biden administration knows and knows well, and, and Josh and Juan both alluded to this, that they need a win. They need something to take to their voters uh, in a midterm election that's rapidly coming into view. It doesn't seem as though the Build Back Better legislation is going anywhere soon. I don't think it's totally dead. I think they are going to make another run at it and see what they can get Manchin on board with, because they do need something to show, take to their voters and say, hey, 
we're really glad you voted for us last time. And here's the reason you need to vote for us again and not let the Republicans take over. I mean, if you look back to 2009, 2010, at this point in President Obama's term, he'd gotten a stimulus done, which was a, a big feat. He was getting close to getting health care over the finish line. And I'm not saying those were good policies, but I'm saying that for a Democratic base, they were things that were reasons to show up and vote in the midterms. And by the way, they got their clocks clean that time, too. So my point is, you need to go into battle with something to show. And right now, uh, Joe Biden and his party doesn't have much uh, to take with them. You know, that's interesting you say that. One, you know, here is a president who passes in his administration a COVID relief bill of $1.9 We used to think that was a lot of money. And then passes a bipartisan infrastructure bill of $2 trillion. We used to think that was a lot of money. But because his administration kind of is stalled on the big climate change and build back better bill, and they can't figure out this voting rights stuff, it seems like he's come to a grinding halt. I would expect, though, wouldn't you, that come the spring, that there are going to be some bridges built somewhere where Joe Biden's going to say this is because of the infrastructure bill that we passed. Yeah. You know, it's funny in this conversation with, you know, very well-informed people, all of us, we don't talk about COVID. But, Brett, as you're pointing this out, you know, he's going to do some things and say take some credit at some point. But it's difficult when the country is still gripped by anxiety uh, over COVID and so many people are not even back in the office and schools, arguments and schools be open. And remember, part of the idea was he was going to be proactive and get us away from the COVID stuff. So if this variant that's currently dominating so many conversations and lives passes, that's a victory. I think that uh, it's what you said, too, is so true. Why is it that we don't talk about the fact that he passed that COVID bill, that he passed the infrastructure bill, that he has gotten so many people vaccinated to come back to COVID? Uh, You know, there's lots of arguments about how the exit from Afghanistan went, but there's not much argument that most Americans wanted out of Afghanistan. These are all things that arguably are real accomplishments. But again, I think he or his administration need to be more aggressive in stating not only what they've done and what they will do to Collins Point as a reason for you to say, here's why I want to vote for a Democrat again. Mm -hmm. We'll hear from our panel after this. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. So, Josh, it feels to me like they're going to try to do, you know, pick some things out of Build Back Better, get Mansion Cinema on board, uh, and maybe even that becomes another COVID bill. And somehow that gets the eyes of some Republicans to kind of, you don't call it Build Back Better anymore, but it's COVID Bill 3 or whatever. Yeah, it sounds like that is the only tenable way to pass a, a piece of legislation that, that could get any any degree of bipartisan support, any Joe Manchin support. Um, but I think the bigger picture, too, is, is sort of what Juan's alluding to, which is that Biden needs to 
provide a sense of optimism in, in terms of the economy and, and in terms of return to normalcy, more importantly. Uh, a lot of the, the COVID uh, malaise is also related to the economic uh, dissatisfaction that, that we're seeing. A lot of people don't want to, not wanting to go back to, to work, not wanting to go back and participate in the economy the way they did before 20, the pandemic began in, in March 2020. And I think there, there could be you know, the whole quote from Franklin Roosevelt, nothing to fear but fear itself. There, there could be uh, the use of the bully pulpit in a more aggressive way from President Biden to, to offer a sense of optimism, to speak up, uh, talk up the economy, and, and more importantly, talk up the need to get back to normal. And that you're starting to hear, like, tiptoes in that direction from the White House, but they're also very wary about their own base in that, in that respect as well. There are a lot of, you know, public health officials, a lot of people on the left that are afraid to, to, to do so, and they're, they're speaking very loudly about that. So, I, you know, I think policy matters and, and getting a victory in 2022 uh, in the wake of the midterms would be important, but I also think it's a tonal issue that, that the president, President Biden could use the bully pulpit in a more effective way to raise the sense of hope and optimism and, and really get, get past the malaise that people are feeling as a result of the, the, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Colin, is there, do you think that, the handling of COVID and the messaging of COVID uh, has really been a sore thumb for this administration. I think it was always a mistake for the bar for success that they set for themselves to be crushing the pandemic. Uh, hindsight's obviously 2020, and then candidate Biden was saying that to juxtapose what he was putting forward with what his predecessor was during the course of a, of a campaign. But in retrospect, it was always ludicrous to think that one administration was going to come in and be able to curb a worldwide pandemic with all these twists and turns uh, that no one could have foreseen. Now, that's the bar they set, not the bar that his critics set. They said they were going to crush the pandemic. And I think this COVID issue and this inability to move past it for all the various reasons, uh, Josh used the word twice in his answer and Vice President Harris used it last week. Uh, the malaise. Uh, it's, the, it's the word that's become associated with President Jimmy Carter in the late 1970s. And things just don't seem to be going right. And that's just not what this country is all about. And I think the issue we see now with, with COVID testing lines stretching around blocks, uh, with schools being closed down with no end in sight in Chicago and other major cities, you've got United States senators sitting in traffic jams for 27 hours on I-95, an hour away from D.C., and everyone kind of just uh, shrugs their shoulders and says, that's just the way it is. I mean, that malaise is what needs to be snapped. And I think the the the, the COVID is the is the underlying and overlying cause. Uh, but we need some new voices. We need some new ideas, and we need some uh, a new fresh change because right now uh, it's just more of the same. And I think people are going to start tuning out the Biden administration on, on all things COVID and, and other things as well. One, well, there doesn't seem to be any uh, impetus for changing his advisors. Uh, I've thought, you know, after kind of a, a slow stretch, that maybe we would even see a new White House chief of staff or a new something like inner circle. Uh, But it seems like the Biden folks are pretty loyal and the president is going to keep his same team. I think that's right. I I haven't heard any kind of, you know, backroom banter. And obviously Washington is such a political gossipy town, but I haven't heard anything like that. To the contrary, I hear that they are very pleased that there isn't a lot of drama uh, and there isn't a lot of backstabbing. Uh, There's a little bit of a change that we witnessed uh, just the last few weeks in the vice president's office. Things there in terms of the messaging communication really had reached a boiling point. 
you know, her messaging has just been off and, and her image and her numbers, they're worse than President. I don't know if they're worse than Biden's, but they're equally bad. Um, so but in terms of the group of people who are around Biden, I think he's pleased with them and he likes the stability and they like the stability. And it's a very they are known to each other, Brett, and they've known each other well before this presidency. And I don't anticipate that you're going to see the shakeup of that kind. I think the shakeup is in terms of whether or not they can come to, you know, what Colin might regard as, uh, you know, an awakening in, in-house about how we can change this perception that we are not more aggressive, positive, and go-getter. We don't have that, you know, America can do it attitude, and we need to convey it. Last thing, Josh, um, heading towards the midterms, this is this year now, uh, in November, you are seeing Democratic in the House side, Democratic retirements really add up. Uh, this week already, Democratic Colorado Representative Ed Perlmutter, uh, and you are now, I think it that's 26 uh, retirements on the Democratic side. You have on the Senate side, uh, obviously, Pat Leahy, but then you have two Republicans choosing to run for re-election. They were doubted that they might not, uh, John Thune and uh, Rob Johnson. Um, is there... Or Johnson from uh, from Wisconsin, is there a sense that uh, Democrats see what's coming in November, and that's where where we are? Yeah, Brett. Actions always speak louder than words when it comes to politics, midterm politics, and when you see a wave of House Democratic retirements uh, well well ahead of the pace, for example, then. 2020, in 2010, when there was a huge Republican wave, it, it, it is a sign that Democrats are seeing the writing on the wall. They have a very narrow uh, House majority right now, and, and given the national political environment, it, they're, they're they're moving and voting with their feet. They they they're not uh, optimistic that Democrats are going to be able to retain the majority in, in the House. In the Senate is a much more mixed picture. Uh, you know what, what made the 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 Thune announcement so notable was. The fact that other more establishment Republicans like Rob Portman of Ohio, Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania decided to retire and not have to deal with the internal divisions within the Republican Party. And you're seeing some of these internal divisions in primaries uh, in, in some of the big battleground states. So, uh, you know, the, the environment is still very, very uh bullish for Republicans in the Senate as well, but they're going to have to deal with these divisions uh, between the McConnell wing of the party and the Trump wing of the party that have yet to manifest themselves and, and could could cause them some setbacks, even though they have a very good, uh, they have they have the wind at their back in the in the overall picture. Yeah, Johnson from South Dakota, Ron Johnson from Wisconsin. All right, panel, thank you so much. Here's a bit of U.S. history. On January 9th, 1776, Thomas Paine published his famous 47-page pamphlet, Common Sense, considered one of the most influential written works in American history. The pamphlet argued independence from England as well as the creation of a democratic republic. Common sense changed the course of American history, paved the way for our freedom and power to control our own government. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Colin, Juan, and Josh, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time.
It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.